I like to tell people we're in two businesses. We're in the business of saying no, because unfortunately 99% of the time I'll say no. And a lot of people think that we're in the business of actually investing because writing checks is easy, but we're actually in the business of exits. And so when I meet a company, I have to figure out, could this be, at least from the angel perspective, a $100 million business for now? Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing here at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Trace Cohen, who's a Managing Director at New York Venture Partners. Previously, he started three different companies. New York Venture Partners is a family office that invests in early-stage startups. And Trace has sourced or met thousands of founders, conducted due diligence, leading to multiple strategic investments every month with that portfolio of over 50 current investments. We dive into a variety of topics in this episode, including why Trace creates so many different memes, what he's looking for in startups, and much more. Let's dive in. Trace, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. And lots to discuss with, with your background, your journey, things you're doing in terms of uh, investing. I'm curious because I'm always going to ask people to start. Like, why did you first get started investing? So investing for us is kind of a family business where my parents are entrepreneurs. They built and sold the company and they kind of instilled in my family, my older sister, younger brother to be entrepreneurs. Basically, we had to start our own companies by 26. And so when you're in high school, you have no idea what that means. I was FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. And so I applied to all these different business schools, undergrad and ended up going to Syracuse. As we were just talking about, my dad went there. I went there and I actually started um, as a major in entrepreneurship, which in 2006, no one cared about. This was like the rise of Facebook, like a billion dollars is cool. And so I actually started my first company there called Brand Yourself, did that for two years out of my dorm room with my uh, best friend and roommate at the time, and then uh, graduated in uh, 2010, resigned from the company, had a few companies after that in media analytics. And to answer your question, after my last startup in 2015, I joined my father full-time investing. He's been a professional angel, and we can distinguish the difference between a professional and an angel um, later on. But I joined him full-time around 2015, 2016, when he had about a dozen or so investments. He was currently chairman of the New York Angels. And today, we just made our 65th investment. That's crazy. That's a long way to come from that. And actually, I'm curious... Your distinction between angel, professional angel. Tell me more about that. So a lot of people always ask, right, was a professional angel back when there wasn't as much money and funds and the promiscuity of everybody being an investor, a typical angel was someone who wrote a $25,000 check and they would make a few investments a year. That was what was considered an angel. Yes, legally, you have to have the $200,000 or net worth in the eyes of the SEC, but similar to the word mentor, which is been bastardized. Everyone is a mentor these days. If you don't know like their family, where they came from, like their birthday, and they can't call you at like two in the morning, you're not a mentor. And the same thing as an angel. If you write a check, you're not an angel. And I'm hung up on it because I don't want founders to waste time with somebody who is in the professional and in the sense of whether they're an operator, they don't have to be full-time. Um, even if they work at a VC and they're doing one-off checks, I've seen $1,000 checks, and I know we go about this on Twitter all the time, be more powerful than a million-dollar check. And so at least for me as an angel, 
well, I say professional, I have a thesis, I have a process and operation, and I add value. I pay to help you. That's my job. And so if you can write a check and just move on and not be value added and annoy founders and just, oh, I got a 2x markup, like, oh yeah, take the highest valuation, not understanding the actual game of, well, one of our companies just took uh, an extra strategic few hundred thousand dollars and uh, another angel is like, you should take a markup. Like I need a markup. I was like, no, I don't care for a 1.5 X after six months. This is strategic. I want them in. I'm in the long run. The understanding that if you make an investment, you should one expect to lose it as like a expected value. But two, with this whole diamond hands thing, we're the most diamond hands people in the world. We come in when you have nothing, your pre-product, pre-revenue generally, we work with a founding team. And I know I'm not going to make money if I ever do for seven to 10 years. That's a professional angel who understands that. Going back to what you mentioned there with process, take me through a little bit behind the scenes of what your process looks like. Some people have different, different ways of going about this. I'm just curious for you and you know your firm as well, like how you go about that. Yeah. And we are professional angels in the sense of like New York Venture Partners sounds big and fancy. It's my father and I, it's kind of our holding company. Uh, and so we manage only our capital. We have no outside LPs just for anyone listening. That's the major yep. difference between angel and a VC angel. It's our money. VC is someone else's money. And our process is simple. There's two of us. We can both make decisions. We get our deal flow from demo days, from accelerators, from other angels, from operators. Uh, we made, I would say 30% of our investments this year alone came from founders that we've invested in. Uh, one of them was a previous we hire that we reinvested in because we love the founder, but just other founders of ours that have gone pre-seed seed series A saying, look, uh, I met some people, they read the announcement, they want introductions. What do you think? I was like, I love this. So let's get introduction. Let's meet. Thank you. Uh, and we love when our founders go to bat for us, which is great. Um, otherwise we find a company and we send it to our institutional kind of pre-seed seed funds where they can write and lead around. We don't lead. Um, we are term takers. And so, uh, and vice versa, the VCs come to us as well saying, great, here's a lead, here's a term sheet. Uh, we need to fill out the last uh, few hundred thousand dollars. We'll generally invest 25 to 50,000 initially. And we're pretty price sensitive. I know it's hard these days to do that, but yeah. we kind of cap out a 10 million valuation. And so almost every single about, I would say almost every investment we've made has been below 10. I just did a five, a six, a seven, an eight, a nine. How you come up with valuation is part of the process as well, uh, especially when it's like notes with caps or safes, post caps, pre-safes. And so I'll take a meeting. If I like it, I'm kind of going in having seen not so many unique ideas anymore. If you're actually a unique idea, it's kind of weird. It's like, why haven't I seen this? Why hasn't this been successful? It's kind of yeah. ironic. Uh, but we'll take one to three meetings generally with the founder for our check size and also just the diligence process. We call it due diligence, D-O, not D-U-E, actually talking to experts and trying not to FOMO like, oh, this person's in, they're leading it by this person. Well, you know, that is a billion dollar fund. So a $2 million check really means nothing to them. Oh, it's actually a scout. So it's not the fund. So just trying to figure out all the other aspects. But early on, it's red flags. Do the founders have experience? Do they know what they're doing? Have they built this before? Do they have 5, 10, 20 years of experience? They're unfair advantage. Early on, moats are basically if they succeed. And it's really hopium if you're raising enough capital. So we are generally in rounds or 
a million to two and a half million. If there's any less than that, you're going to have to be constantly raising on notes and safe and stacking them. And if you raise a million dollars, you really have at least a full year of runway to achieve what you want to and need to. With that too, so with you and your dad working at this and deal sourcing can be from a lot of different things as you as you kind of mentioned, how do you prioritize that, sift through? I know one thing at Vitalize, I mean, we see hundreds of deals. We just hired two new investment associates to kind of help us on that. But like it's a venture firm, a few more people involved with you and your dad doing that. How is that going in terms of going through that? Yeah, that's what I do. So as our portfolio grows, that takes up a lot more of our time. Like right before this, I just spoke with one of our pre-seed investments for an hour. And it's great because it's not just about the business. It's also understanding their mentality, their hiring, how they're feeling and being a sounding board for them where everyone thinks it's all tech crunch and great headlines, but they had to fire somebody and then they hired four more people. And it's not easy to fire people, but it's easy to say, if it's not working out, fire them, right? You have X amount of time. And we love talking to our founders. We say about a third of what we do is marriage counseling between founders. Um, and then somewhat therapy mixed in because they don't really have that many people to talk to. If they don't show confidence and bravado, uh, which is what they always have to express, right? If you ever ask the founder like, hey, how's it going? Killing it, going great. If they said anything else, you'd be like, this is, it's actually not going that way. Like, oh, I'm going to stay away from you, right? It's always putting on that sense that everything is going well. And so when we're talking with founders, right, I'm meeting with probably, or I get sent, introduced to like 100 a month. I'll probably meet with maybe 30 to 40 of them because I know what I'm looking for to some extent. And then you know what uh, you're looking for when you see it. You're like, aha, I like this. Yeah. And so uh, we had five investments from previous founders. So great. That's like a warm intro um, kind of vetting. To some extent, they said they're good enough. And then I like the idea. So I'll meet with them. Uh, we made three investments completely proactively, like reaching out, actually four um, three from Techstars. We watched the demo days from Comcast and uh, Barclays uh, in FinTech, invested in those. So we went out and found them. Uh, yeah. And then the uh, one from Twitter, uh, one came through memes, which we'll talk about. And <laughs> then uh, the other ones were warm introductions uh, from other angels, operators, and VCs. But I meet with them and I have experts. So I have VCs who are experts. I have operators who are experts and then actual people who don't work in tech who are my experts. I'm like, great, give this a, like a smell test. Like, what do you think? And if they come back, like, actually, that's pretty interesting. Like, I might actually use this. Or they're like, no, that person has no idea what they're talking about. They're making it up. And that's also a huge red flag. If you ask a founder a question and they don't know the answer, but they make up an answer, that is basically just a bad business, like ethical way of yeah. uh, just doing work. And so kind of catch them in that sometimes. Uh, but I like to tell people we're in two businesses. Uh, we're in the business of saying no, because unfortunately, 99% of the time I'll say no. And a lot of people think that we're in the business of actually investing because writing checks is easy, but we're actually in the business of exits. And so when I meet a company, I have to figure out, could this be, at least from the angel perspective, a $100 million business for now? And then... Will they be able to convince the next Series A that they're a billion-dollar business? And to that point, I mean, what are you looking for? You mentioned the $100 million thing. And I, there's differences between angels and their expected outcomes potentially versus like a VC firm, you know, a fund to return all that profile. For you guys, what does that look like in terms of your kind of exit profile you're looking for? 
when I'm in a company, I just need to see how this could be like a 10 to 20 X initially, right? I'm yes, I want the billion dollar exits. I need the home runs and the fund returners. And we have a few of those, fortunately, but I just need to be convinced that you could get this to a hundred million dollar business, right? Minimum 10 to 20 X. Uh, and so I get sent deals and it happens all the time where they're like, oh, I think this is a good angel investment. What's that mean? Well, it could be like a, a safe five, six X. I was like, that's not the business I'm in. And I don't want anyone to tell you otherwise, like a professional angel. If you're in finance, if you get two or three X on your money, that's amazing. At the end of the day, I need minimum 10 to 20 X on my money. So it completely screws up everything else in my financial life, right? It's like, Oh, yeah. get this 10% APR is like, I don't understand how that works. <laughs> uh, and so unfortunately, when I say no, it's either like, I just don't believe in the founders that they're good enough. I don't like the idea. I don't like the market. I've seen so many different ideas. Uh, but also, I don't know if it's a big enough business. You, as a founder, take offense when it's a lifestyle business. Ooh, you're just a lifestyle business. You're not VC backable. And you know what? That's fine. You can make a few million dollars a year, throw off cash flow, and I dare say the word profit, um, net income, right? Exactly. Fugazi, <laughs> Fugazi, that just don't exist uh, in our business, right? Because I need to find a company that can go on and raise more money because it's somewhat growth at all costs. And so when they're like, yeah, we'll be profitable in year two or three, I'm like, okay, that's completely made up. Do you actually understand financials? But most of all, do you understand the game that you're going to have to play, right? So like you watch like Game of Thrones and watching the new Wheel of Time. I'm like, do you know, like once you start raising capital, everything changes, expectations change. You have to hire, you have to grow. Like, are you ready for this? And so that's like the last test of like, do I believe that you can play this game? There's so much to it. There's so much involved in that. And I, one thing I want to go kind of talk about a little bit is just any any investments of yours that stand out as an example for others when you're looking for investments or, you know, they say, oh, looking for great founders. Okay, what does that mean? Are there one or two that in your portfolio that you're like, want to talk about this one for this reason? I would love to hear more about that. So one of my better investments is just this maniacal founder, uh, Jonathan, of a company called Phi. It's a smart dog collar. We invested in the seed round and it's hardware. So people generally do not like hardware. This was three years ago. No one really liked the pet space. So great. I beat a trend, right? Because by the time something is trendy, it's too late. Uh, and so got an introduction through a friend of mine, Lyland Masterman. They were Kaufman fellows together and I'm a dog person. So I was like, yeah, this is cool. Good background. And we literally invested in an idea. They had CAD designs and met him like 3D printed, like some casing. Amazing. There are certain mannerisms when you can meet people in person and the way that people speak. My background, family backgrounds and PR and comm. So we listen really to how you present yourself. And we always correct founders. We're like, yeah, if this works and we might do this. From day one, he's like, I'm going to do this. This will work. And with this money, this will happen. And so it's rare. Yeah, you can be egotistical and you can kind of get that bravado. But he's day one just felt that there wasn't anything that wasn't possible where he achieved everything either earlier or on time of what he said. Uh, he raised a series A still pre-product, pre-launch, which in hardware in the dog space was somewhat unheard of. Uh, and now I'm learning so much from him. I wish I could share. And I told him he has to be a professor someday that his updates are 15 pages long. I know where every penny is and how they're doing. And they went on to raise like a series B and 
because of him, I directly correlate a founder update every single month to the success. And so that is one thing I tell all founders, send updates because one, it gives you a benchmark of where you stand, you know what's going on. Two, it keeps your investors engaged because if I don't hear from one of our investments for six months and then they're like, yeah, things aren't going that well and I need money. I'm just like, hmm, you know, like I'm not really that involved. I don't really have too much faith in you. And like, if it's going really well, great. I can't always help you. And I haven't been able to help five from the early days, like at that seed investment, but I've been more helpful now. So I always figure out a way to be helpful. And that's always been fun. We're friendly, right? I'm going to make some memes for him. He asked about it. Um, <laughs> and then on the other side, we have an investment uh, wizard. So a very technical team, uh, actually based out of Copenhagen. Um, we've always wanted some deep tech. I'm not a PhD. Our friend uh, Evan Nielsen at LDV Capital introduced us. I met the company at his, um, his, uh, his summit that used to be uh, in the city. I was like, this is really cool. I can hand draw an image, take a picture, and it will print out the code for me. I was like, this is magic. I don't fundamentally ha understand how it works. You only have a white paper. I'm, I'm in. I love this idea. And you meet the founder, and they're just humble, technical. And I was like, there's something here. But it was years ahead of its time and like the no code. And so we worked, got a, a seed round after like two years, and then they just raised a Series A after like another year or two. And it was just amazing seeing his updates, trying to figure it out, how they somewhat pivoted in their branding, their marketing. I actually disagreed uh, with the branding of the company. And I pushed back a little bit and he stuck to his guns, Tony, the CEO, and it worked out. And so that's also something that we love with founders that they'll take our input. I felt heard, I felt acknowledged, and he still said, no, I, I disagree with you and it worked out. And so that is something as a investor, I take one, a lot of pride in like in the founders um, that they at least listen to us and make their own decisions, uh, but also that they're coachable. And that's also another red flag that if you give input, they'll listen, they'll figure it out and they'll make their own decisions. Because at the end of the day, we like to say they're benevolent dictators. They're in charge. It's their company. We're just, humble investors along for the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And another point, you're investing all over the world or how do you focus on that? It just depends on opportunity. US-based and Delaware C-Corps almost exclusively. Um, they were based in Copenhagen, but they're Delaware C-Corp around the pre-seed funding. They did all the funding corporation, uh, right? The whole holding company stuff, it all worked out. Um, and New York Venture Partners, so nomenclature, it used to be only New York companies because it was in-person, social uh, wasn't as big, and we had New York Angel Investments, it was our network. Uh, and so it was my kind of prerogative when I joined five years ago to expand upon it. So I was just talking to somebody, I think we're about 75% New York now and 25% and kind of growing uh, in Washington, in California, uh, in Nevada, New Jersey, Maine, Florida, and uh, I guess technically Toronto as well. So trying to expand talents everywhere. And as long as you're a pre-seed seed, less than 10 million valuation and a Delaware C-Corp, we can kind of consider it. I know what we don't invest in. Everything else is somewhere opportunistic. 
Yeah. And with that too, so the, the expansion and going all different markets, you say you're helping with that as well. Tell me about these memes and how that contributes. Cause I I'm seeing, I'm just analyzing what you're doing. I'm like getting in the mind of trace and saying, well, you know, attention is everything. I and mean, realistically, let's talk about the viral one first, the most viral one you had. I can't like not talk about that first time founder meme. Just take me through posting that prepping for it. You see the idea of like, Oh, I should post this. And then the, the reaction too. You have no idea what's going to work. And so <laughs> when COVID shut down the world, I started a newsletter. I used to host events online uh, uh, in person, a lot of dinners. And so I started this newsletter, uh, the active investor list. And I figured, well, if I'm going to be at home, I can't see people. I need to help founders and my investors, my friends. Uh, I just started with about 50 of them. I put it online and I sent a newsletter out. Turned out to be like a, a, a weekly thing for 70 weeks. So every Monday I would send out an ugly BCC. I copy and paste all the names as it grew. It's up to 400 people now. Um, I would take the list of what's going on this week, like what I'm seeing and all the companies that pitched me, I just send their URLs. It helped raise millions of dollars and the entrepreneur mentality of I'm never doing enough. So it's like, great, this is working out well and keeping top of mind. How else can I stay top of mind? Um, this is like Turner Novak is crushing it there, liquidity and all these other memes on Twitter, which I've been on since like 2008, but probably took it too seriously. And so... I had to get in on it. So I found the app Pinata uh, through, I think, Turner and just started making memes because it was fun. It was mostly like therapeutic and cathartic, just kind of easing our industry where, yes, I get it, millions of dollars, billions of dollars, founders, business, relationships, sales, customer service, just make people laugh. That's all I've wanted to do. I'm not a comedian yeah. by any means, but I can convey something in my brain. It's like, I see this image. These are the words that appear and so at least for that one, I think it was, I don't know, like my 20th or 30th meme. I probably posted a hundred right now. Um, my first one was spec. So I was like, oh, I'm going to try this. And so it was um, Night the Roxbury. They're about to get married. And it's like, baby, don't hurt me. And like, he's holding up uh, the uh, boom box and it's like spec. And it's like all the old bankers and the finance people were like, what is this? No, take that down. It's ruining it. So I was like, okay, I'm onto something here. This is fun. Uh, and that one, I work with founders all day. I know exactly what it's like being dainty, like taking off your shoes and like startup life. I'm like, do not do it. It's going to be the most painful, amazing, horrible experience you can have. And so when I saw that scrolling through the app, I was like, okay, founder, startup life, super simple, five words, but it means a million things. Um, and so I post them, some get a few hundred views. And then that one got um across all the different uh apps of um twitter linkedin tiktok i don't know where else i posted it got like a million views <laughs> and it actually destroyed me for two weeks because one it destroyed my twitter feed two it destroyed my linkedin feed and then i got overwhelmed with hundreds of emails hundreds of linkedin messages and hundreds of requests which is like kind of a good problem to have but like my dopamine was like shooting for weeks and I was exhausted. <laughs> I actually had to stop for like two weeks because I just couldn't handle it. I felt indebted to everybody to like respond back and get in touch. And it did lead to like a few investments like over time between all of the memes of people being like, I saw your memes. And then the more I get, the more people that follow me. And like my only goal and I only the only ask I have of people is introduce me to smart people and smart founders. And so when I now share my founder uh, company information, it just has more of a reach. And that's all I really care about. 
Yeah, I, I I followed along with with that meme you posted, and I looked back at the numbers too, and I was just like, yeah, it's like a hundred thousand plus on Twitter alone. Yeah, five hundred thousand whatever plus on like LinkedIn. And I'm just like, this is insane. And I'm like, how? Like, and then I'm back, and I know from uh, some of the, my stuff gone mini viral, and some of our stuff gone mini viral, and then even seeing our people go way viral to like Sean Fury, some of the stuff he's posted on Twitter has gone insane. He's talked about it in the podcast and his podcast, and like seeing that. But when you look at it and take a step back, like attention, getting more attention, if you can sh- you know, shift through, filter through everything, it helps you. It does help everything you do. More followers, more like, you know, founders, like, oh, that was pretty funny. Like, who is Trace? And like hearing about that, I can see the benefit of it. But to your points, I don't take it too seriously. Like, have some fun with it. I try not to get too seriously. I try not to be too offensive with it, but um i have no <laughs> idea which ones will go viral like i definitely had some like funnier ones that i when i made it laughed mm-hmm. and that one just hit home it's like great founder taking off shoes jumping in and disappearing yeah completely i yeah i, I, I tell I people loved, be I careful it. like when you start a company if you have never done this never in the tech world you won't have anything to do you're just gonna be like i need to do something i'm passionate like i'm bursting the seams but there's literally nothing for me to do so I always tell people like, don't quit your job, use a side project until you have to go full time. And then that's the life that you have. And behind the scenes, I know a lot of founders that I've invested in, worked with over the years and said no to like, that's what they're experiencing. And if I can make them laugh, that's my goal. I love it. I love it. Trace, I know we're out of time. Where's the best place for people to connect with you if they'd like to get in touch? Twitter. That's definitely where I spend a lot of my time. I'm on there. Um, my wife is like, you are a tweeter, twatter, like... It works. I get to connect with people around the world. I'm here, suburban dad, um, best uh, boy now, seven months. I'm so happy. And that's where I spend a lot of my time on email, on Twitter, and love replying to people. It's quick little like text messaging to anyone I want in the world. So uh, at Trace underscore Cohen or email me, t at nyvp.com. As long as it's not spam or copy and paste, I get back to almost everybody. So feel free to uh, reach out. We'll be sure to link that up as well, thevitalizedpodcast.com, so you can find that there. Trace, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizedvc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.